Well, in the words of the legendary Vince Scully, hi everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you wherever you may be. Welcome to the second installment of Championship or Bust with Matt, Kazak, and Josh. We're taping this on February 8th at about 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, so if something world-changing happens in the baseball world anytime after that, our bad. So the majority of the time, we will have uh, championship episodes covering the World Series champions of decades and centuries past, but on today's podcast, we have a special bust episode for you, as we will be discussing really the only real current event in baseball in the middle of February before pitchers and catchers report, the Hall of Fame election results. So, on a personal note, I've been following the Hall of Fame since 2007, 2008, when Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Gwynn and Goose Gossage got in, well before I was able to see those guys play. And during the pandemic, I actually made my own Hall of Fame where I basically blew it up and started over using the Bill Simmons Hall of Fame pyramid. So, I've been waiting to have a night like this for, you know, 10, 15 years since we were in first grade. So, without further ado, let's begin. So, this year, for the class of 2023, we have two new inductees. Fred McGriff, who was inducted through the Veterans Committee through a unanimous vote with people such as Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Don Mattingly, and Albert Bell all falling short. And we also have Scott Rowland. Now, I want to start with Fred McGriff a little bit because we're going to focus more on Rowland later. But Fred McGriff was clearly a no-doubt Hall of Famer. He tapped out at just under 40% on the BBWAA vote, mostly because of those aforementioned guys being on the ballot and just crowding it up with the 10-vote limit. He had 493 home runs, led the league in home runs twice. He would have exceeded 500 home runs if not for the 1994 strike. Uh, he was top 10 in MVP voting six times, and he got in over all those steroid guys, which we'll probably talk about briefly for a bit, but we'll mainly focus on the BBWAA candidates for today. And... Actually, for me, the first person who we ever got to see play got elected in the hall that I don't think really belongs in, and that's Scott Rowland. So first and foremost, um, whether I think a player deserves it or not, I'm always very happy to see a player get in. Definitely a lot better than the shutouts of 2013 and a couple years ago. Um, and anytime someone gets in the Hall of Fame, it means another speech, another plaque, another story that could be passed down from generation to generation. And I think nowadays, especially in baseball, where we're losing the younger generation, that's desperately needed through baseball. And Scott Rowland was a really nice player. Had 2,077 hits, finished top five in MVP voting once, top 23 times, and won eight gold gloves. So like I said, a very nice career. Now, I know on the podcast, we have some differing opinions that we've talked about off camera. And I'm going to open up the floor in a moment. But I think we should start with this. And either one of you can answer this. Take your time. Um, kind of putting you on the spot here. But what is your fondest memory of watching Scott Rowland play baseball? Absolutely nothing. Exactly. I don't know if I've ever even seen him play. Right. Yep. So from what I see, um, like I said, great career. If you watch him on the clips, the defensive clips, baseball tonight, he was the king of web gems uh, at third base. One of the best defensive third basemen of all time. And if we look at the old standards that are compared to the new standards, he's someone that the advanced statistics, you know, look highly upon. So I see two main arguments for Scott Rowland's induction, and I'll start with the one that I buy into least, and then I'll kind of go into the one that I can believe a little bit more. Now, again, nothing against Scott Rowland. Very happy for him to get in. Definitely beats the shutout that would have happened if he didn't. 
but he had a career 70.1 wins above replacement. And wins above replacement is a movement that's been going on a lot more. We talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. Um, I really don't have anything against wins above replacement, which may be a surprise to Josh and Zach. But where I kind of draw the line is the idea of a 70-plus war being a Hall of Fame magic number. Now, I'm sure you've heard the traditional magic numbers that would be considered locks for Hall of Fame induction as long as you didn't cheat. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 wins, and 3,000 strikeouts. So 33 players in Major League history have 3,000 hits. Out of the four milestones that I just mentioned, that's the most inclusive club. Followed then by the 500 home run club at at 28, the 300 win club at 24, and a 3,000 strikeout club at 19. So the most out of those four milestones, those four magic numbers, 33 people got the number. So when it comes to war, 104 players in Major League history have 70 war. Great number. But to be the top 100 player in Major League history in one statistic that everyone's holding so highly regarded, I don't think that's really a magic number to me. Especially when we look year by year, he finished top 10 in war three times. So just for the sake of argument, and I know that the idea is, well, hitters and pitchers both get war and no pitchers getting 3,000 hits and no pitcher is winning 300 games. But if we double the highest number out of those four milestones, 33 for 3,000 hits, let's make it 66. So if we're looking at the top 66 in war, Number six all-time in war is Kurt Schilling with 79.5. What? Kurt Schilling, 79.5 war. So obviously there's other reasons why Schilling isn't in. We won't get into that today. Really don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I think we can all agree that if we're talking just on-field statistics, he's probably a Hall of Fame level player. And let me give you the names of those who are eligible and not in the Hall of Fame with a war that's in the top 66 ever. Alex Rodriguez. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. End of list. Wow. So, if you want to expand that to include guys who aren't eligible yet, or aren't eligible at all, we'd add four names. Pete Rose, Mike Trout, Adrian Beltre, Albert Pujols. All locked. Starting to sound a little more magical here? Yeah. Yeah. So, who gets added into this when we bring the floor down from the 79.5 of Schilling, that top 66? To 70. Justin Berlander, lock. Yep. Zach Greinke will get in. Probably not first ballot, but he'll eventually get in. Yes. Jim McCormick, an all-time player. Clayton Kershaw, lock. Bill DeLenn, all-time player that people still argue for. Lou Whitaker, someone who was a one-and-done uh, from the 80s Detroit Tigers. But a lot of people are backing now because of sabermetrics becoming more advanced. Rafael Palmero. Steroids, Max Scherzer, Locke, and Bobby Gritch, who is another sorry is another one and done guy who is getting a lot more treatment now because of the statistic movement. So the names are starting to get a little less and less glamorous, right? Just a couple of names here. So my point is that after all the rants I've had with you guys off camera about it, I really don't have a problem with war. But that arbitrary 70 number seems to be automatically associated with the Hall of Fame. And I think it's a little too inclusive. I think if you up it to 80, and 80 is your number, Kurt Schilling 79.5 and up, 
that sounds a little more like a lock to the Hall of Fame to me. If you're the top 100 in anything, I don't think you're an automatic. You're in the conversation, but I don't think that should be the end-all, be-all. Like a lot of the stabermetric people tend to think that 70 should be automatically in. Um, when we account for Hall of Fame averages, and that's where a lot of the 70 war comes from, with Jaws and items like that, and they've, Jay Jaffe and other people have done amazing work with that, but it includes selections that we all agree were bad picks from the veterans committees and the committees of years past. There's a lot of bad picks, and I won't mention names, that bring down the average Hall of Famer score. So we shouldn't really necessarily be going by that as a magic number. If we took the average Hall of Famer's number in hits, I didn't calculate that, but it would definitely be a lot less than 3,000. And there's a lot of guys who are over that average that aren't in the Hall of Fame. So war should be treated the same way, in my opinion. So this is not an indictment of Scott Rowland. It's more of an indictment of the large chunk of voters that have changed this process into a pure advanced stats game, which is fine, but I think it's just, you know, up the stats a little bit, make it a little more exclusive if we're doing pure magic numbers, if that's what the case is based on. I'll open the floor to you guys and get your thoughts on that. I mean, I don't know if I'd really consider that 70 war is a as a magic number, as you say. I mean, it's a good indication for somebody like Roland who who had a good career, maybe not a great career, but he had a good career for a number of years and he was fairly consistent throughout his whole career. But, you know, when you sit there and you look at the stats and you go, oh, you know, he had 2,000 hits or oh, he had 300 home runs, you know, nothing really particularly jumps out at you. But then... You know, if you watch the guy play, you know the guy was an animal at third base. I mean, nothing gets by the guy. He won eight cold gloves. And you're really not going to be able to see that when you're just looking at a guy's hitting stats. So I think War gives you a little better of an overall picture of how well he played, you know, in the field as well, especially compared to the other people that were playing that position at that time. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But if you're 103rd all-time tied for Carlos Beltran, so in the top 104 all-time in War, and that's the main basis of your candidacy... Is that really enough to guarantee or put you in the fifth ballot of the Hall of Fame when you're alongside some of these other names that didn't quite get in? Some clean guys who didn't get in. Um, I think the eight gold gloves is definitely up there, but there are other people with eight gold gloves or more who aren't in. And again, I, I don't think Scott Rowland is a bad choice. I wouldn't personally vote for him, but I just think that there were better options that should have been in first. If that makes sense. Yeah. The thing with Roland that jumps out at me, honestly, is that he had a really hard time staying on the field. Every year he was yeah. hard. Every year. He played he played one season of 160 games. See, I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite because you'll see my person at the end that I want to kind of put forward. And he really couldn't stay on the field either. So I didn't want to like throw that out there as my reason against him. But yeah, that definitely does play a factor. For me, if you're dominant for a short period of time, I value that more than being very good for a long time. But it's weird for me because Scott Rowland had that short career, like you said. He played you know, just around 2,000 games, but he compiled this 70 war despite only being in the top 10 in war three seasons. So I just don't, it's weird that how weird. that wound up coming out. So he compiled war for a long time, but he couldn't stay on the field for most of the seasons that we were really alive to see him play. Okay, so my question is, when when you say that he compiled war, are we looking at a Craig Biggio who's, you know, continued to display so they could compile stats in all the magic yeah. numbers? 
Are you saying that he hit the magic war? Yes, that's essentially what most of the arguments are. 70 is typically the number that you look at, give or take. And a lot of stereometric guys, once you hit that 70, you're like, yup, they're automatically in. And that's why they push for Lou Whitaker and they push for Bobby Gritch, even though they were under 5% when they first went eligible. And I don't think that's really a pure indication of how deserving a player is. No, Because again, the person who I'm going to present later was a one and done. Yeah, But I think that does play a factor in what the contemporaries thought, unless you're in an um, extremely crowded ballot. But most of those guys at the 70, as you saw, got in, except for some older players and some sort of outliers. And what I'm saying is if we cut it to the top 66 rather than the top 100, which would double the uh, the least exclusive of the four magic numbers with raw stats, then I think that's a little more accurate of who's a lock Hall of Famer. And then 70 more to me would be the equivalent of getting 2,800 hits. Johnny Dame is not going to be a Hall of Famer. So, for lack of a better term, I see Scott Rowland as the war version of Johnny Damon. I can get behind that. I, I definitely see, I don't see war as this all-encompassing, you know, indicator. Like, it's a good stat to have, but it shouldn't be the end-all, be-all. I, like, Rowan doesn't even have, what, 2,200 hits, right? He's got, like, 2,000, barely, I want to say. 2,077. Yeah, yep. exactly. Like, we were saying before, he is a good, very good player, but is he a great player? And I, I don't think the answer is yes, personally. I think he was a great defensive player. And like, if you're a seven-time All-Star, you're a great player. But again, there's plenty of guys who have more that aren't in. There's plenty of guys who have less that are in. It's not always accurate. But it's just weird, like, the idea that we we saw the guy play the last eight, nine seasons of his career. And I understand that he would hurt at that point. But we still watched in 2010, an All-Star season, where he finished 14th in MVP voting. That was his second-best MVP finish is age 35 season. So we saw his second best season, according to MVP voters. It didn't feel like it, right? No. He played 65 games in that season. That's right. He played 133 games in that season. The next season, he played 65 games and made an all-star team. Kind of got hurt, I guess, in the second half. He had 242 that season with a 676 OPS. He made the all-star team. Wow. Generally because of defense. But... Nothing was really that memorable. And we saw two of his seven All-Star seasons clearly when we were old enough to understand what was going on. He made other All-Star appearances from 2003 to 2006. Okay, maybe we're a little too young outside of the Yankees and the Mets. But if we're talking about two seasons that he made All-Star teams and one year where he finished top 15 in MVP voting, one of only two seasons that he did that, we were in sixth, seventh grade. We knew what was going on. And we didn't think it just didn't feel like it because you didn't hear about him. Right. And I'm not saying that's his fault, but unless the stats really show it, does that make a Hall of Famer? Right. And again, not against Roland, more against this, how the arbitrary 70 war number became almost as automatic for induction. I think it should be higher. Um, But anybody have anything to add on that or should I segue into the next? I got a question. You're saying 70. We're we're looking at guys now. Burley has what a fifty WAR, like, right? How um do you know by any chance the number for like sixty and fifty, off the top for sixty and fifty? Like how many yeah. more people have gotten it? So one hundred ninety one people have gotten sixty WAR. Okay. Um the lo- the number one ninety one of all time, and this is where WAR kind of goes a little rough, is Ichiro Suzuki. What? Because he didn't play the first the first ten years of his career were in Japan. 
Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Actually, right above him, two spots above him is Andy Pettit, who we'll talk about later. And he's tied in war with Bobby Abreu, who we'll also talk about later. But Ichiro's a lock. Like, he has to be a lock. Yes. Oh, he's in. He got the 3,000 hits. Exactly. And he's just a different case. But under him, about seven spots under him, 59.4 war is Yogi Berra. Wow. But it's who has three more than Mark Burley. It's the eight rings. Yep. Yeah. So that all of a sudden makes a big difference. He actually won 10 World Series. Oh, 10, my bad. So like that's a, you know, a big indication. And catchers also are a different breed, but that's another story for another day. Once we get to Joel Maurer, probably next year, that'll be where that really comes up. Well, to me, that question, like you just said, catchers are a different breed. When you're talking about war, you know, and you're talking about a guy getting the whole saber, you comparing that guy's war to just war in general for every other position, or are you talking about that guy's war compared to the position that he played? Yeah, you got to compare it to the position, right? That's actually a perfect segue, guys. Thank you. So the other argument that I can get a little more behind is the top 10 third baseman ever argument, meaning oh boy. a lot of people consider Scott Rowland on their short list of greatest third baseman of all time. So using war as a baseline just because it filters by position. Again, I respect war. I just think the numbers that we consider to be Hall of Fame level are a little skewed. Um, Roland is 10th all-time in career war for third baseman behind all Hall of Famers and Adrian Beltre, who I think we'll all agree will walk in next year. Yep. With probably 95% of the vote. Yeah, easily. So the play, the problem is the players behind Roland are the following. Edgar Martinez, who played a good amount of his career as a DH. They don't have war for DHs, so they only account for offensive numbers, not defensive meaning his number would have been higher, most likely, if he played in the field. So not counting him, pure third baseman to be under him. Greg Nettles. Oh, wow. Home run Baker, who is an all-time Hall of Famer. Ken Boyer, Buddy Bell, Sal Bando, and Dick Allen. None of them are in the Hall of Fame. Nettles isn't in? Nettles is not in. Oh, wow, okay. Nettles isn't even in Monument Park, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. Um, Ken Boyer gets a lot of love through the veterans committees, but always gets like, you know, four or five votes and then never gets in. I think he'll probably get in in the next couple of years when they meet again, because last year they just had a crowded group with Gil Hodges and Minnie Mignoso and Tony Oliva getting in along with Jim Cott. So they can only vote for four people. They got in and buddy, uh, Ken Boyer was the next guy after that. And so was Dick Allen. Dick Allen actually fell one vote short, um, two years ago before he passed away. So a lot of really good names here. But my point here is that everyone above Roland is a Hall of Famer and everyone below Roland, with the exception of Home Run Baker, who played way, way before all these guys, is not. So to me, Roland's more in that Nettles, Boyer, Bell, Bando group than Beltre, Brett, Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt. Now... Juan Santo and Scott Rowland have identical stats. Scott uh, Ron Santo was considered the biggest snub for years until he passed away. Wound up getting in the class of, I believe, 2012. Um, but again, numbers are different in different eras. So I don't know that his raw stats are virtually identical. Okay. Rowland was probably better in the field, but the numbers back then, like if we take a shortstop's numbers from the 60s and 70s, they're not going to hold up to Cal Ripken Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter. Of course. Yep. Makes sense. So, again, I'm happy for him that he's in better than a shutout. I just wouldn't probably put him in my hole. 
But those are the two arguments. I can definitely buy into the third baseman argument more. But my question is, is that going to open the floodgates for other guys that probably weren't quite up to the standard? That Evan Longoria group, that David Wright group. That's right. my question there. Like if you put in, now that Roland's in, and most likely Boyer gets in and Buddy Bell gets in, I think Nolan Arenado is a lock today if Roland's in. Oh, I was just going to say, I think he is yeah. already, because he's got what? 12? I want to say he's Nolan's. Got yeah, he's got 10 already. He's definitely yeah. a lock. I think he's, I think he walks in now, even though he doesn't have the 2,000 hits or any of that other stuff. Because if Scott Roland's in, Arenado's in. I see Arenado is better than Roland, personally. But I would agree. But the course field argument will come out there. I mean, Arenado is gonna, should easily surpass Roland, especially in home runs. I mean, he's sitting oh, at yeah. 299 right now. I mean, he's already he's already starting at 50, 52 war. I, I I can't see this guy. I mean, Arenado, he's not that old, is he? How old is he? No, he's got to be like 30, I want to say. Not even. Right. I mean, you know, if he's going to, you know, continue to play for, you know, five five more years, I, I can't see him not raising that war at least another 10 points and taking another, right. you know, 60, 70, 100 old run. Arnold's 31. Oh, he's 31. Okay. And looking at his numbers now, he's got a 52 war with 15, 20 career hits. So he's probably about three seasons away from surpassing him in hits. And if he keeps up, let's say he gets six war a season, he'll be around 70 in three years. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, he's so talented, that dude. I can... He's already have just as many all-stars and more gloves. Yeah. With, you know, he's one home run away from 300. So he's right there already. Wow. If you want to use Roland as like kind of like the stopgap almost, like do you let him in? Is that the question? But then anyone sort of below him, you don't. I would to- I would right. get behind that. I think that's a valid and argument. I think the BBWA kind of answered that by putting him in on the fifth ballot. Because again, if we're going just by war and the gold gloves, okay, yes. But there's a lot of other stuff that it's just isn't quite there. Is that going to open the floodgates for other people? is really my question. And I'm again, I'm fine with that. If more people get in, I'm a happy guy. But I just, there's other people that I would have rather seen got in first. But to me, I think it's more of like a changing of philosophy. You know, baseball's obviously an evolving game over time. And, and you're seeing, especially now, that the game is really, you know, be the strikeout or you at a whole run. It's hard to just judge a guy based on these magic numbers anymore. And that's why they've come up with all these you know, war and jaws and all that to have a better understanding of how a guy played, you know, in that time period that he played in. So a guy... And I'm totally fine with that. I just don't think adding a magic number that's easier to obtain with more people have obtained it, almost triple the amount of people have obtained any of it, would be the best solution either. I, I, I don't... I mean, war's only been around, what, 10 years now? Yeah, yeah, but they still retroactively go back to the pre-modern right, era. Right, right. But, you know, I, I don't see this as a perfected system. For well, sure. Right, it's but, definitely not yet. But here's my thing with it is with the 300 win club, just going back there for a second, the next two highest amount of people that, oh, sorry, the next two highest amounts of wins that are not in the 300 win club, Robbie Matthews has 297 wins and Tommy John has 288 wins. Neither are in the Hall of Fame. Why? Because they didn't get 300. Wow. As crazy as that sounds. That is crazy. I'm not saying that's right either. But if they're not in because they didn't hit the magic number, 
then I think we need a much stronger number than 70 to be a Hall of Famer, to be a lock Hall of Famer yeah. from it. I agree. But but for now, I guess if anyone have anything to add before we go to our next? Do you guys think that just because war is such a new stat, people are like really analytic heavy right now, and in maybe 10, 20 years, war is like a, a normal, like more normally used stat it's not an all-encompassing thing it's not the end-all be-all but it's like a tool that's kind of how i see it now yeah like i don't discount it when i'm looking at you know the hall of fame stuff when i was making my list i looked at it um but if i don't think the numbers justify it if i don't think the raw numbers justify it i don't think the eyeball test justifies it then i can see it being the 70 wins above replacement being like okay you know I can kind of disregard this because it's a little misleading. Got it. But do you think the writers, I, there's definitely some writers out there, right, that like see more and just like pretty much go by that? Yes, there are people who will filter the list by 50 war and up yeah. and then vote from there, which I'm honestly somewhat okay with also. You know, if, if 50 home runs is your, if, and sorry, if that's your baseline for comparison, 50 war, then. You can start from there and edit. What'd you say? Fine. Ichiro has a 40. He's got 40-something, right? He is like 191st all-time in war, so he has a career of 60 even. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you said he was below 50. No, but he also has a career batting average of 311, 3,089 yeah. hits, and won an MVP with 10 all-star teams. So like, no, he exactly. has other stuff to go by. Um, Vladimir Guerrero has 59.5. He hit 449 home runs, has a 318 career batting average, won nine All Star games and an MVP, won nine All Star teams and an MVP. Yep. So, it matters. Other things matter besides the war. Okay, I get it. So the writers are proving that it's it. They're not just looking at that for sure. Okay. Right. I just don't think that should. If that is your main number, that that should mean that much. I think there has to be more to it. I agree. All right, so this next segment is called Sorry Todd and Sorry Billy. So after the Hall of Fame elections were announced in the class of 2023, Scott Rowland was elected in his sixth year of eligibility with 76.3%. There were 389 total ballots cast. Um, some of the near misses were Todd Helton and Billy Wagner, finishing 72.2% and 68.1% respectively. Uh, Todd Helton finished 11 votes shy of getting elected this year. And Billy Wagner finished 27 votes shy. Now, when I was watching this, I was watching the projections from Jason Sarsdell, and I was betting that Todd Helton was going to jump the line and get in this year. So I was a little surprised when Scott Rowling got elected and Todd Helton didn't. But some of the other guys who made a lot of grounds, Andrew Jones, 58.1% in his sixth year. Gary Sheffield, who will now be entering his 10th year at 55%, going to be an upward battle. Carlos Beltran in his first year, 46.5, who tied Jeff Kent, who's now off the ballot. Um, Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez finished in the mid-30s, and then everyone else was under 20%. In order, Omar Vizquel, Andy Pettit, Bobby Abreu, Jimmy Rollins, Mark Burley, Francisco Rodriguez, and Tori Hunter. So this was the thinnest ballot in years. Um, a lot of voters were able to have more spots because five guys left the ballot last year. Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Sosa all aged off, and David Ortiz got elected. So assuming a voter voted for all five names, and um, only Carlos Beltran and Francisco Rodriguez had any relevance to coming onto this ballot, 
that meant every voter who voted for those five had three open spots, which led to a lot of voting increases. Now, today, the public ballots have been announced from the post-announcement cycle. So now we have a full cycle of 307 votes, and four people cracked the top 20 all-time in net gain votes from year to year. Todd Helton gained 51 votes this year. Billy Wagner gained 48 votes this year. Andrew Jones gained 44. Gary Sheffield, 41. And Jeff Kent, 40. Unfortunately for Jeff Kent, time was up. But that was also part of why he gained so much. So my question here is how many voters are going to change their minds at this point who didn't already? And I think Todd Helton is going to walk in next year. Um, he's He'll gain the eleven. Billy Wagner, I think, will get in, but I think it might take him the t full two years. I think he may need that 10th year bump to get him there. Um, and then Andrew Jones is looking good. Gary Sheffield is struggling a little bit, but we'll talk a little bit more about that there. So all the names I just mentioned, that's going to be 15 total names, all the holdovers except for Jeff Kent. I'm oh, sorry, 14 names, actually, because Rollins elected. So no Roland, no Kent, and all the 14 other names are up. Some of the main eligibles coming up are Adrian Beltre, who, as we said before, is going to walk in. Joe Maurer, who we can forecast percentages another day when we get closer to that cycle, but he'll definitely be in contention. Chase Utley, Josh's love, <laughs> David Wright, and Bartolo Colon. So I don't think Bartolo Colon's going to get the 5%, but I think he'll have just an interesting enough case where people will try to give him that little bump, kind of like Mark Burley, where people will vote for him because, you know, Hey, he's borderline, but we really like him. So looking at this here, um, Outlook is looking pretty good for Todd Helton, looking pretty good for Billy Wagner, and looking pretty good for Andrew Jones. Precedent shows that Gary Sheffield is probably not going to jump that 20%. He would need a Larry Walker-like boost. And I think there's enough people that hold the Balco scandal against him that'll hurt him. But um, while we go into election trends here, we'll go kind of in order of whichever ones I looked at first. So Andrew Jones will begin with. He started with 7.3%, then went up to 7.5%. Then as the ballot thinned out, he went up to 19, 33, 41, and 58. Wow. So he's been steadily climbing. So personally, I would vote for Andrew Jones because, you know, we've talked about it a million times, 10 gold gloves, 400 home runs. I think that's incredible. And... um. He's one of four to do that ever. Mike Schmidt, Ken Griffey Jr., Willie Mays, and Andrew Jones. And I think that something like that matters. Um, does anyone have any comments on Andrew Jones either way? 100% agree. Sherman? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that guy's not in, not in already. And we'll hit it with Billy Wagner. Started with 10.5%. Now, that's where I was kind of going with Francisco Rodriguez, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But he started, so Wagner 10.5, then went down 10.2, then up to 11, 16, 31, 46, 51, and 68. So it's just moving steadily up. So he started around the same spot where Francisco Rodriguez was. Francisco Rodriguez actually finished with 10.8%. So he's one, like 0.3% above Billy Wagner. So I was on and off about Wagner for a while. Um, growing up a partial Met fan, seeing a lot of blown saves, but a lot of dominance also. Um, the 10 career playoff ERA really steered me away, but after thinking about it and realizing what a small sample size that was, I've come around. 
and I'd be very happy if he got in. Um, anyone have anything on Billy Wagner? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Wagner had a good career. I mean, he had 400 cents. You know, uh, to me, as a closer, 400 cents is, is a good number. It's not... Really? I know. Do we say a magic number for a closer would be what? 500 cents? 500 or 600. Because do you think Joe Nathan is in? Joe Nathan has around that many, right? Well, if we look at the closer numbers, there's only two with 500 or above. Wagner has 422. Francisco Rodriguez actually has more. I was going to get to that. <laughs> so I'll let you go on that. So K-Rod versus Billy Wagner. Um, as Mac already said, Wagner had has 70% of the vote currently with a 27.7 war, and K-Rod has a career 24.2 war, but only around less than 10% of the vote. So big disparity. And I understand Wagner has slightly better numbers here. My argument is, if the writers like Wagner so much, how come there is such a big disparity between votes for Wagner and K-Rod? So as Mac was alluding to, K-Rod actually has 15 more saves than Wagner, but also he also has around 75 innings pitched more. Um, so yeah, that's understandable. And Wagner does have more strikeouts. So I'm again, Wagner has better numbers, but they are comparable. So I would just like them to be consistent. Very fair point. Uh, the only thing I would say for Wagner is that the dominance is there because if we look at like at his amount of innings pitched and above, and he didn't pitch a lot of innings, so that's part of why. But in terms of ERA, WHIP, and strikeouts per nine, he's in like the top three modern era among all pitchers, starters or relievers. So the dominance was there for even the short time that he did pitch. Um, in terms of the consistency, I agree with you. Um, I think Francisco Rodriguez is actually a case that might continue to build up, and I was very happy when he got above the 5% because I didn't expect him to. Um, but he finished with 437 saves. He has the all-time single-season saves record, and obviously saves are in everything for a closer because it's all about opportunities. But if we're looking at 400 saves as a possible magic number, I'd like to point out that Craig Kimbrell has 394, and Kenley Jansen has 391. I, I, I don't think oh. either guys are going to get in. Correct. And John Franco has 424 who didn't last a second ballot. Right. But I've come around that Billy Wagner. Also, you know, I am biased. I do like Billy Wagner a lot, but I'll get to that later. Um, but anything to add or we're good there? Yeah, I don't think either guy deserves to be in personally. And I think with closers specifically, you have to have like extraordinary numbers. Like I think it's Mo, I think it's Hoffman. And I mean, Goose was good too. Um, is there anyone else I'm forgetting? Eckersley, Fingers, yep, Suter. Yep. Eckersley as well. A lot of people are anti-Suter also, though. Rest in peace to Suter. Got it. But yeah, I think you have to have like exceptional numbers to be put in, personally. Right. Uh, moving on to Todd Helton, the man of the hour who was close with no cigar. He started with 16.5% in 2019. What a way that he, what a journey that he's had. He went up 13% to 29%. So 16 to 29 then 44, 52, and now 72. He is as lock as lock gets for next year. Enough people will put him on the ballot. The knock on him is Coors Field. His numbers on the road are nowhere near as bad as several Hall of Famers. I'm very happy about it. It will also pave the way for my boy Carlos Delgado when he goes on the Veterans Committee. I'll open the floor. <laughs> uh, I think Helton deserves it. I think he'll get in eventually. Pretty simple. 
Yeah, I mean, I know we've kind of, in the last, you know, four or five years, we've really been moving away from batting average, which I think is kind of silly. But, I mean, this guy hit 300 in almost every year of his career. It's yeah. hard for me to say if this guy's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, he had 370 one season. Jesus. Uh, it's hard for me no, to say. No, hardly agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he stayed healthy for most of, his, most of his career, too. You know, he was, he had a, a five-year structure. He was just incredibly dominant. To me, that's that screams Hall of Famer. For sure. I don't think there's really an argument against it, right? No, I think people argue course field. field. Sure, that. whatever. But... And also, his power numbers are a little low for a first baseman. But I think if anyone argues Keith Hernandez should be a Hall of Famer, then that num- that argument goes away, too. And I'm all for Keith Hernandez getting in, and his power numbers were not good either. Um, but I guess we'll move on to uh, Mr. Gary Sheffield. So he's in, he's entering his 10th year. Again, crowded ballots, light steroid implications because he did admit to using unintentionally in the Balco scandal. Um, 2015, 11.7, went down to 11.6, 13.3, then down again to 11.1, then up again to 13.6, then big jump to 30.5, then 40.6, and then exactly the same in 2022, eventually getting up to 55%. So he would need 20% of the vote to get 75. It's going to be a tough order. I would also lean no on Sheffield. I think he was like, above average a little bit for a few years, but I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. See, it comes all back to magic numbers. He had 504 home runs. He just got it. Wow. He stayed around to get it. Um, had that... He played 22 years. Right. So I would personally vote for him just from all of his numbers, but I definitely see the argument against, and I, I don't think it's a shame either way, especially if you are holding steroids against him and you want to say that the steroids even gave him that extra bump to get 500 home runs. Oh wow! Like even in the beginning of his career, that's more than fair. No, I'm looking at his numbers no. now. I, I might be mistaken. He's almost a career 300 hitter, 2,700 hits, pretty much. It's close. It's definitely borderline. Yeah, it's definitely not one that I would argue too much in either direction. It's it's certainly close. To, to me, I I would only say yes because, you know, we were five or six when this guy became a Yankee, and and he was you know. Really, really good in 04 and 05. I mean, he came runner-up in the MVP voting in 04. So for me, I would say yes only because of those two years as a nostalgia reason. But uh, And then, you know, magic number reason, I, I think that 500 is kind of, I don't want to say a sham, but a sham, But because he, he played so long, you know, he, that, that's a stat compiling, you know. Yeah. You know, he hit right. home runs in the last season just so he could get there. I mean, he finished with 499 in 2008. You had to play that one extra year. Now, the next two I'll group together, and you'll see why. So, Alex Rodriguez in 2022, 34.3%, and then went up very, very modestly. Everyone else having these 15, 17-point jumps. He went up 1.4% to 35.7. And then Manny Ramirez started at 23.8%, and he just had his seventh run on the cycle. He's only gone up 9.4% since then. 23.8 23.8 to 33.2. So I don't know how far you guys want to go in with steroids on this. We could debate this for we hours on end. Forever. Uh, right. So I I kind of just want to point out, like just in terms of balloting trends, I'm a pro steroid guy. You know that. And I think they both should be in. I think baseball was better with it, but that's a whole argument for another day. But it seems like the, the voters have really spoken on this one. And unless there's anything you want to add, we can kind of keep going from there. I think they it 
there's their outlook is yeah dead in the water. It's very clear. It's sad. Um, a Rod is a top five shortstop, third baseman. I want to call him. Very sad that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And same for Manny. But he's not a, Manny isn't a top five outfielder in any sense of the word. But I think it's upsetting that he's not in there. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, both of these guys statistically should be at the whole thing, but obviously they're not because they cheated and were caught cheating. And I'm very much on the anti-cheating. I would not put either of these guys in the hole because, you know, they were cheating. And again, you know, David Ortiz got, you know, caught. Yep. I'll say that in quotations because it's never really official, but everybody knew it and everybody knew he got caught, but he got off on a technicality. So at that point, I'll just say throw them all away because who cares anymore? There you go, Sherm. That's my argument. Ortiz is in. You got to let him in. I'm with that. And kind of adding into another PED user who admitted it, um, kind of got the slap on the wrist compared to everybody else, Andy Pettit. So he started with 9.9%, went up to 17% in his fifth year. So he's gone up about 7.1% since he's been on the ballot. Not going to get into the BBWAA. Um, I think he might be an interesting Veterans Committee case in the future, and that'll be the real test of how these voters feel about steroids. If they like the people who gave him nice interviews, he actually has a shot because Derek Jeter might be on this committee, Mariano Rivera <laughs> might be on this committee, Joe Torre might be on this committee, and it just might be able to turn enough heads. That's interesting to think um, about, honestly. That's an argument for a whole other day, too. Yeah. Like, I'd love to do an hour-long podcast of, like, who has enough connections to backdoor with their way yeah. in. I think that could be a great debate topic, especially with someone who you're going to bring up later, too. Because I think that might be something that happens. Oh, okay. But um, just to kind of keep going for time constraints, Bobby Abreu hung in by the skin of his teeth with 5.5. He's now gone up 10% in his fourth year. I I'm sorry. No. 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 It's a no, no for me, no. though. Like, the numbers, I get it. They're they're good. They're, He's the numbers consistent, are good. but again, he played Absolutely for, not, what, 20 years as no. well? No, and I have nothing against him. I loved him as a Yankee. No. Are we talking about the same Bobby Bray? Because I, I don't think this guy's any business being on the battle wall whatsoever. <laughs> yes, I. that is the one, and I always chuckle when I look at it, yeah. I mean, um, there's nothing about this guy that's, that tells me Hall of Famer, and then I look at the guy's war, I'm like, I, this has got to be the outlier of outliers. <laughs> yep, and in kind of the same breath of guys who are dead in the water, but for a different reason... Omar Vizquel, disgusting allegations against him. Won't go too far into that. But he started with 37%, has went up to 52%, and then dropped to 19 He's done. Uh, so It's up to me. I say we move on from there. Yeah, I agree. I just have a question, Mike. Um, do the writers have to use all five votes, or do they feel they use them like just so they you know, give other these, these other guys a shot who haven't been getting Well, they votes. get up to 10, and it's like a strategy. So basically... They, some of them vote, you know, blank ballots. Some of them vote two. Some of them vote three and go small hall. The greats of the greats are in and everyone else is out. And then other people decide, like, I'm going to give the guy a bump up vote. And I don't really blame him for it. The problem is that if 300 people all agree to give that guy that bump up vote, they get in. And that has happened with the Veterans Committee before. I believe it was Rick Farrell, and they said, listen, like, just let him get a vote, and then everyone voted for him, and he got in. Some of these guys that are getting these bumps I don't think are deserving, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Yep. I think that's really it for the 
kind of the whole, I think everyone else is kind of stagnating and they're going to stay around where they are. The Jimmy Rollins and the Mark Burleys of the world, they're on the ballot. I question how, you know, if they should be getting the percentages that they are, but I don't think they're going to be moving much further than that, especially as more names like Ichiro and CC come on in 2025 and eventually Albert and Buster Posey and Yadier Molina and all those other guys come on. So I think they're kind of at their ceiling. Maybe one of them can sneak through. Who knows? But kind of moving on to the first ballot, guys, we talked a little bit about Francisco Rodriguez at 10.8%. Definitely has a case. We won't go too far into it because we kind of already did. But Carlos Beltran um, finished with 46.5%. Beltran, number-wise, is as borderline as it gets. He flirted with all the magic numbers, despite never really being a top five player in the league by any stretch. He was a nine-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove. Again, tied Scott Rowland in war, 70.1. Hit 279 on his career, 2,700 hits, 435 home runs, and finished top five in the MVP voting once, top 10 twice. Really, really good career. I think the numbers mean he gets in, but the question is how much does the science-stealing scandal affect him? And really for Sherman, I want to kind of ask you this. is I know how you feel about steroids. How much do you think the um, science-stealing scandal should affect the Houston Astros, whether it's Carlos Beltran or even in the future, Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa from their Hall of Fame chances? I mean, I think this is arguably worse than steroids. I mean, you cheated to win a championship, and the league did literally nothing about it except... I wouldn't even say they gave himself an arrest, so they literally did nothing. I mean, they gave they gave everybody complete immunity, except somehow Beltron got fired from the Mets, even though he never even coached a game because of it. I don't know how he got the short end of the stick, because people just threw him under the... You know, they threw him under the bus because it was his idea, because he retired and they could. I, I could almost guarantee you it wasn't his idea, and he was just a scapegoat. And he got the short end of the stick, easily. 100%. I think it was just an easy cop-out because he was the only retired guy that they can mention him by name because all the other players agreed to immunity. Yep. But I so mean, I, yeah, as good as Boltron was and, and as good as his numbers are and, and where his war is at compared to other Hall of Famers, I, I can't... It's hard. So like I said, I, I made the argument that, you know, they let Ortiz in, so they should just let everybody that, you know, that steroids in. It doesn't really apply to this one. Because it's 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 different. It's not it's not steroids. It's I I can't I can't vote for him. Sorry. Fair enough. I know you love the guy, but I can't. And I like the guy too. Don't get me wrong. I really did. But I you know I love I Carlos Delgado. I don't have any love for Carlos. But I mean, like I was a Met fan in 2006 when I was growing up, and then after Castillo dropped the ball, <laughs> and when I was nine, I converted to the Yankees. But, I was there. Um, but um, no, I had. I didn't have any like personal love for Beltron the way I do for Delgado. So I have no um, disagreeing with that. I, I would vote for him because of my feelings towards steroids. Just to stay consistent, if one cheater is allowed in, I think the other cheater should be in too. Six of one, half a dozen in the other. But I have no real argument against you. Like The main takeaway from the last couple of years of this committee is, and with the association is they're going to vote for who they want to vote for. So my days of arguing about steroid usage is long over because it's just not worth it. It's not going to be the same that it used to be, but it is what it is. I think everyone is trying to cheat in the science stealing world anyway in terms of that kind of stuff. I don't really think that's a big deal. Well, I mean, there's a difference right. between cheating and, and, and stealing science. Stealing science is not inherently cheating. 
big on trash can is cheating. Yes, agreed, agreed. Having ca- having cameras, you know, fixed in on stuff is cheating. But knowing when a guy is tipping pitches is not cheating. And yep. and, and people call that science dealing. No, he, that's not. It's not the same thing. I agree. All right, so our next segment is called Wild Card Picks. Now, there's a lot of leniency with this. We could go in a number of different ways. Each of us pick somebody who we think should get more love in the Hall of Fame voting, whether it's someone who's still on the ballot, someone who's soon to be eligible, or someone who has already fallen off. Um, I will let Zach start with his, and then we will continue on. Uh, for my wild card, I picked um, John Wester, pitcher for you know Red Sox, Cubs. Um, led those lot of teams to deep playoff runs. Had a career war at the end of forty three point four. Just hit the two hundred win mark, overall record two hundred wins, one hundred seventeen losses. Just missed twenty five hundred Ks. 2,488 strikeouts in 2,740 innings, career whip of 1.278, and a career ARA of 3.66. Again, 12Ks away from 2,500 really hurts him, I think. Um, But he had eight seasons of 15 or more wins in a 16-year career. So half of his career, he was winning 15 or more games, which is really unheard of nowadays. And then after that, he had four seasons of over 10 wins besides those. So, you know... That's more than half of his career he's winning over 10 games, which is crazy. Five-time All-Star, three World Series rings, um, NLCS MVP. But again, his war is in the 40s. So I try to compare him to someone who was getting a lot of love in the ballot, which is everyone's favorite, Mark Burley. And in 503 more innings or 42 more starts, Burley had a higher ERA by .22, only 14 more wins than Lester and 42 more starts. And he has 43 more losses than Lester. And Burley has 618 less strikeouts than Lester. But somehow his war is a 59.1. I don't get it. I think Lester has better numbers. And obviously they're both five-time All-Stars. But yeah, Lester has better numbers. I don't understand where the big war disparity comes in there. I also did some comparing to Jack Morris, pitcher for Detroit Tigers. His career war is also at a 43.5. Both five-time All-Stars, three World Series championships. Um, Morris actually has about 54 more wins, but also about 70 more losses than Burley. It's very comparable. And he also just missed 2,500 strikeouts by less than 20 as well. So they're very comparable. I think if Jack Morris is in, I think John Lester is in. But I really don't get the the war differential between Burley and Lester. It just blows my mind. So yeah, that was my pick. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think there's a really good comparison with Jack Morris there. Jack Morris, John Lester, Andy Pettit in a way. Big game pitchers who were on a lot of winning teams. I think now when I first started doing that list during quarantine and remade the Hall of Fame and stuff, I looked at John Lester and I thought pretty much a quick no. Um, I've come around on that now after seeing some of the people that are getting 5% and above. I don't think he belongs in, but I think he'll probably get, you know, well more than double digits percentage. Um, what I think will stand out to me is now I, for a while growing up, I had this belief that if you, you, if a team wins a world series, there should at least be one hall of fame player from that team. I just always, for some reason, it was just something that always stuck in my mind. I've drifted away from that now after seeing the Kansas city Royals from 2015, but um, 
the thing that I think stands out with John Lester is that he was part of the 07 Red Sox. Now, that wasn't the curse breaker, but it's a big name, big market city. And then he helped break the Cub curse. And I really don't think there's any Cubs that are going to quite get there. I agree. I think he's as close as it gets. And I think that might actually really help him when voting time comes for him. So you hit it right on the head with the numbers, but I think that significance of that, such a historic moment, probably the most historic baseball moment of our lifetime, breaking that 108-year curse. And he's probably the most Hall of Fame-worthy candidate on that team. I think people will gravitate to that. So it wouldn't shock me if he got in. I wouldn't be mad if he got in. Um, other than the fact that he's a Red Sox. Yeah. But like, again, him and Morris have identical numbers, pretty much. But do you have any thoughts on the, the Burley war comparison? I don't know. Burley almost has like a 60 war, and his numbers are just not as good as Lester's. Burley was Mr. Efficient. And he was known to be, he threw over 3,000 innings. Yep. Um, he had 518 games. Uh, he had a high ERA and a high ERA era. So I think that's what a lot of people He wasn't a strikeout guy, but he mowed a lot of people down. And when you start looking at probably the ground ball rates and all that stuff, yeah. I think that probably had a lot to do with it without really going deep into that stuff. Um, I think that definitely had um, more of a say. Um, in terms of his war, um, he had a six war and above twice. So the 2007 and 2001 season might have helped up him, but he didn't make the all-star team in either season. Wow. So the thing that hurts me with Burley is that he only has the one Cy Young voted season. So clearly the voters at the time didn't really see uh, him being one of the top pitchers in the league. So I would say no to Burley, but I definitely could see the comparison to Lester. Yeah, I'd say no to both of these guys. I don't think any of them, either of them have a place in the whole thing at all whatsoever. And I think as far as your war comparison, I think the reason why Burley has a higher war is, A, he pitched a significant amount more innings on Lester, and B, he also won four gold gloves. He was a really good defensive player at okay. his position. Um, as far as wins go, do you guys think, uh, I don't, no one's ever going to hit 300 wins ever again, probably. Um, and no, I don't even think 250, but is 200 like a good number to judge by now, do you think? Well, that'd be weird dropping that low. I think uh, with the five-man rotation, though, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities. So Justin Verlander has 244. He has an outside shot of 300, but he needs three dominant seasons to get it. Yeah, no one wins 15 games in a season anymore either, like, like these old guys in the early 2000s, you know. Right. Kershaw has 197. Scherzer has 201. So that's all about right. Yeah. Greg has 223. Yep. So 200 is about right, but, you know, with all the injuries and stuff, I think it's going to be a lot more towards Cy Young voting because that's when you get to your guys like Jacob deGrom. Gotcha. And what are they going to do with Jacob deGrom? I have no that's, clue. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, so, I mean, on top of, on top of you know, what you were saying about, you know, the, the five-man rotation, these guys not getting many opportunities, I think, you know, the other really big thing here is that you know, these guys are throwing five or six innings, maybe seven innings, and they're getting off the mound. That's a lot more opportunity for no decisions. I mean, these guys just sort of throw complete games all the time. How many how many games did we see DeGrom, you know, throw one, you know, give up one run in seven innings and the Mets blow it? Yep. How many times? Let me just use him as an example. That happens all the time. But that's also why we can't really account for wins anymore in general. Right, well, I think that's where the voters are really going because DeGrom's career record is 82 and 57. Wow. With a career ERA of 2.52. So I think the ERA, he has a whip under one on his career, two Cy Young Awards, an ERA title, 
I think he really needs another Cy Young to really lock it uh, and kind of go for the Colfax comparison. But I think there's going to be a lot of a shift in what the committees look at when a guy is a clearly a top, like a top top two pitcher in the league for five six years. I think you got to let him in regardless of the record, even though that record is like staggering to hear. He doesn't even have a hundred wins. So I guess we will move forward um, and kind of go into Josh's person, which I already know who he's doing. We so happy birthday, know. Sherman. You get two uninterrupted minutes to, <laughs> you know, kiss Chase Utley all over you want. Listen, man, you know, when, when we were growing up, you know, most of us played Little League or, you know, some sort of, you know, such, you know, little kid baseball. And, and you know, I played second base. And who you're the, going the personal route. Who was the, oh, best, is... who was the best second baseman at the time? Jay Sodley. That's not Robinson. No. Exactly. Okay, that that that's 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 a good argument. I'm not going to say he wasn't. He's was very <laughs> good, but he's obviously never getting to the hall because jaded. But I mean, you know, as much as I have a personal connection to Utley, and you know, I know you two will hate me for this. <laughs> the guy is the guy has the war. He has the war to get in compared oh. to sec- other second basemen. Maybe not compare it to, you know, the the Hall of Fame as a whole, but to compare it to other second basemen, he is right in that, you know, second baseman average for war. And, you know, in, in, in the late in the late two thousands, this guy was the best second baseman in baseball. He was the old decade, you know, second baseman. This guy was absolutely dominant. And there was no question that he was the best player at second base in the entire major league baseball until Altuve came along. And, you know, that guy also cheated. I don't disagree. It's just, I think the numbers themselves are a little low. Not even 2K hits, right? Not even 2K hits. 1,700. Disgusting. Right, 1885. No shot, way. I don't think it's crazy. They did a poll on the expect of, like, baseball writers, and the expected number for his first ballot is around 20%. I mean, you know, the question, the question, obviously, for a guy like Utley, obviously, aside, aside from war, is, you know, how, how long are you going to, you know, window the guy's career? Because his career as a whole, eh, you know, it, I wouldn't say is anything eye-popping about it, but for that, you know, that one, six, seven-year period, the guy was top ten player in baseball. I'm I'm honestly not as against it as I once was. Just looking at Roland getting into, I think that does pave the way for him. And again, more people means more speeches means happy Josh, and I like happy Josh. That'd be good. I don't, I don't so mean, I'd be happy for you. Know, he, he he helped pull that team to a World Series in '08, and you know if the Yankees were an absolute powerhouse in '09, they probably wouldn't won again. I mean, he had five home runs in the World Series in '09. That's crazy. That's a record. Now, if Pedroia doesn't get hurt. I think he probably best Utley as the best second baseman of that era. I would agree with that. Probably couldn't stay on the field for those years. And Utley, exactly. and Utley had injury problems, but that was later in his career. Yeah, later in his career. Yeah, but I mean, if if uh, what's his name, Pedroia got his numbers to where they should be, I think he's a better overall second baseman than Utley. Well, that's more Manny Machado's fault than anything else. Alex <laughs> <laughs> Fee, Mike, love you, buddy. But yeah, I, I, it, it's it's hard for me to not say that this guy's a Hall of Famer. And, and again, when you look at the guy's war, he is, you know, he's smack dab in the middle. Yeah, but what does he got? What is he batting? Is he like a 300 hitter? Or is he like 280, 270? 
275, uh, 1885 hits, 259 home runs, yeah, no. six-time All-Star, won the World Series in 08, no. played really well in 09. I'm not going to hold that against them. If it was a team of Chase Hubbies, they would have beat us. I mean, Ian Kinsler, rattling off names, I can think in my head, like, how, what's his stats compared to Ian Kinsler, right? Like, 1999 hits even. Really? Yeah. There you go. A little snap that I memorized years ago. What? Why? First, just for sure? No, just kind of came up. I was doing like the game logging stuff, and it popped up. I know, like Kinsler was above average, but I, didn't, I don't think he's like Hall of Fame where they had. I mean, obviously he compiled. He was healthy. Utley is better than him, but I, I don't. I still don't see Utley as a Hall of Famer personally. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. But I wouldn't mind it if it happened. It's definitely, you know, the, you know, especially if you look at the Warren and they do that. They do that seven year peak. His seven year peak is is above, you know, an average second baseman. The war is his. Career war is slightly is slightly below average, but I mean, there's a lot of I know these guys are some of these guys are old timey, but there's you know there's at least almost ten guys underneath him in, in the war category. Yeah, he's pretty Their much dead smack in the average for second baseman. The problem is again, it's what we talked about before, where the you know the universally bad Hall of Famers are bringing down the standard, but that's not his fault. So based on the construction, I think he will eventually get it. I don't think it's right, but I think he'll get it. But then you see guys like Rollins, and, and, and he's not jumping off the page. And and he's, you know, garnering a decent amount of the vote. The two idiots that vote, I when Mike sends me the ballots, I can't believe people vote for Rollins. It's absurd. Yeah. And then you see a guy like Scott Rollins that just got in. Yep. You know, he, he again, his numbers don't jump off the page, but he had a really high war, and he was, you know, smack dab in the middle of, you know, the average, and he was right on the cusp of all this. You know, those are the really good little favorites. These are, you know, the... That just somehow got in, you know. Again, that Utley is, you know, to me as, as I was watching the ballots, knowing that Utley, you know, he's coming up next year. I I watched very closely to how Rollin did, and Rollin getting in to me is a very good indication for saying that Utley is going to get a similar treatment, where he's not going to get in the first year, and it may take five years, but at some point he's going to get in. I would agree with that. I think it might end up being a very late ballot push or a veteran committee. He's not going to be a first ballot. It's going to take him a while. It may look a little underwhelming initially compared to what people have been forecasting, but I I wouldn't be shocked at all if he eventually got that push. Disgusting. All right. Listen, you picked a guy that has no business being in a whole thing. Oh, so did you. No, I didn't. Like, I actually has a war that counts. Oh, we don't care about war here. No, I know you don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, you just got to go once bloody bulls. All the war times, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, Lester is just an interesting case to me personally. Do I? He might be borderline, but again, that guy Morris, Jack Morris, is already in, and he has the identical war. He's a forty-three. Yeah, what did Morris get in from the uh, from the Veterans Committee? That I don't know. Yes, he got sure into the vets. He was he was riding in with a solid amount of the vote on BBWA. Like had more substance than McGriff actually. Uh, just didn't quite get the most. There was a lot of diversity between the advanced stats and the traditional. Right. He's a big traditional guy, so the advanced ass guys were very against them. Sort of like the anti-Roland. All those 80s Tigers guys don't. Trammell doesn't deserve it. Uh, we could go on a whole 20 minutes about that. Yeah, but... <laughs> All right, Mac, what's yours? All right, so I'm going to hit you with a pitcher who didn't quite have the lasting power again. That's why oh, I was I know talking about is. short-term dominance over long-term peak, and that's Johan Santana. It's bread and so butter. Again, very short Again, very short career. Um, one of the first games I ever went to. We'll never forget watching him pitch. 
Uh, so we'll go for the personal thing, Sherman, just like Boom. you. He did get the 51.7 war, uh, 139-78 record. Again, record means nothing now. 3.2 career ERA. Uh, he did win two Cy Youngs, and there are talks now that he could have won two more in 2005. Um, Bartolo Colon won it with a .6 higher ERA, 81 less strikeouts, and a .2 higher whip than Johan. And also in 2008, where the Mets bullpen blew a lot of saves for him and caused a lot of no decisions and losses, sort of like the DeGrom treatment. So some things never changed for the Mets. Um, so that was back before there was nuance in the voting and wins losses had a lot of impact. Tim Lincecum wound up winning that year. And despite those bad beats, he still won two Cy Youngs in 04 and 06, had a total of five top five Cy Young finishes. And he's also in kind of the club that I made up, and this is my whole basis on him being in, and it's called the three club. So he led the league in strikeouts, ERA, and whip three times each, in the case of whip four times. Here are the players that I have been able to find for years that have actually done this. Roger Clemens, Lefty Grove, Christy Mathewson, Walter Johnson, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, Sandy Koufax, Tom Seaver, Grover Cleveland Alexander, Warren Spahn, Clayton Kershaw, and Dazzy Vance. Wow. All clear hole famers, except for Clemens, who we know why. Here are some notables who didn't do this. Greg Maddox never led the league in strikeouts. Verlander has led the league in ERA twice, including last year, not three times. Bob Gibson led strikeouts in ERA one time each. Bob Feller, one time in ERA. Scherzer's never led the league in ERA. And Cy Young led ERA twice. So all those guys didn't do that. So to the best of my knowledge, and I've looked this up for years, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 players who have done this besides Johan. 11 of them are in the Hall of Fame, Roger Clemens and Johan Santana. I rest my case. I think um, probably a bit of a better case than Lester, but I think Johan did not get two guys strikeouts. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? He missed by 12. Oh, okay. So he basically has 1988. it. Okay. And I know he doesn't have 200 wins, not even close. Yeah, but again, wins aren't going to mean anything when DeGrom's off. Yeah, good point. And Santana's going to open the door for DeGrom. Yeah, when is... So, wait, is Johan on the ballot? He was, and he got 10 votes um, because this is in 2018. He received 2.4%. Here are some of the names that are on the ballot with him. Andrew Jones, Sammy Sosa, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner, wow. Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez, Fred McGriff, Larry Walker, Omar Vizquel, Kurt Schilling... Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Mike Messina, Edgar Martinez, Trevor Hoffman, Jim Tomei, Vladimir Guerrero, and Chipper Jones. Yeah, very, very loaded ballots for sure. So Nine Hall of Famers plus Clemens, Bonds, and Schilling, and Vizquel, who was polling at 37% at the time, and Manny Ramirez, and Gary Sheffield. Understood. And Sammy Sosa. Totally get that. So, not really fair, that rule, but that's how the Hall of Fame yeah, goes. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I do think it's an interesting case. He has a good war. And those, uh, the Cy Youngs and the Triple Crown, I guess, make up for the fact that he doesn't have a ring. But again, he was on bad teams. So, yeah, I wouldn't hold that yeah, against him either. That's not really his fault. He really had no one around him. Very interesting case for sure. Probably better than Lester's. And a lot of the Sabre Metro guys actually back him because of that short term dominance. Yeah. I mean, this is like, like I just said about LA. I mean, this is, this is another case of, or, you know, or you can look at the guy's career as a whole and, and see that you know he only played 12 years. Or you can look at the guy's career and, oh my God, Jay had a seven-year peak where he was the most dominant player in baseball. Especially as contracts get bigger and careers get shorter, that's going to matter. 
Yeah, that's that's tough. I... It's a tough one. You know, he, he wouldn't be my first choice, and when and obviously he kind of got kind of got a little screwed because of the other guys that were on the ballot with him. And I think if it was a ballot like this year, he would have gotten a much higher percentage of the vote. I think he should get in. Not that he is going to, but I think he deserves to get in from the veteran committee. I think he'll have a shot once they inevitably break up the committee is do a straight steroid ballot and then a non-steroid ballot and then finally just get rid of the sham that this is. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this guy was top five in Cyan voting for it. Five years in a row. And that would open up for guys like Chris Sale and Felix Hernandez, who low-key have sneaky good cases yeah. that we just didn't That's have time funny. for. funny. I always thought King Felix, King Felix was like going to definitely be in it when I was a kid, but now it's gotten, as it's gotten closer, it's really, really dicey for him. Uh, the numbers are actually really good. It's just he fell off so quick. 3.42 career ERA, won a Cy Young, led the league in the ERA twice. He didn't make the free club that uh, Johan did, but... I wouldn't mind that either. I, I like short-term dominance. That's something that I'll always go for. But I think on that note, uh, that will conclude our second installment of Championship or Bust. I hope you enjoyed this Bust episode. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.